And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall rejoice, but they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. We're going to come back to verse 7. Verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will declare their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them for they, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice. This is the response in the Lord. My soul doth be joyful, shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, and the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And we are living in that era. Do you not believe? The Lord's praise is springing forth from all the nations. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject coming from verse 7, double for your trouble. What does that have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with it. Christmas is a joyous occasion, but for many it can be stressful. For many it can be sorrowful. Maybe for you this is the first Christmas you'll be celebrating without a loved one. Maybe through divorce or through a death, some tragedy has occurred. And so Christmas for you may not be as merry as it may be for others. I'm here today to encourage you that the Lord promises to give us double for our trouble. Verse 7 again. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double Everlasting joy shall be theirs. The New Living Translation translates it like this. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. This is a reciprocal promise. Take your problem, put your faith in God, and give Him time. He created time for His purposes. And he will restore what you lose or what you're suffering double. In other words, it will be twice as good. So just hang with me. That's um, a little, little glimpse there. Now, when I talk about problems, when I talk about problems, keep in mind it is based on your perspective, based on your experience. You may have a very high toleration for pain. Well, others may have a very low toleration for pain. But for both of you, what you determine is a problem, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt, it is a problem. Maybe your daughter sashed you yesterday. That's a problem, is it not? Maybe you have a son and a rock. Ooh, kind of changes perspective, right? Point is, I just want us to receive this word for ourselves and for those who have what they would call troubles. Not to belittle anyone's trouble. We want to anticipate it. For G.I. Joe, a squirrel is a great conquest. Let's look at this verse a little more closely. You can look at it in your Bible if you have the King James or New King James. He says, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Now, look look at the words that are in, in italics. Excuse me. Can someone get me a water? The words in, in italics here are the word you shall have and the word honor. He could say, instead of your shame, take out the words you shall have, instead of your shame, double, and take out the words instead of confusion. So the, it could be translated to say this, instead of your shame, double and confusion, 
They shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. What this verse could be translated to say, and others translated to say, is shame and troubles can double on you. They can grow. But that's beside the point. The Lord can double on that. The Jewish, a Jewish translation says, for your shame which was double, and for that they rejoiced, confusion is their portion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. The Message Bible says, because you got a double dose of trouble and more than your share of contempt, your inheritance in the land will be doubled. And your joy will go on forever. Troubles have a way of doubling. Oops. There's a principle of multiplication in the laws of sowing and reaping. Like a snowball rolling down a damp, snowy-covered hill in the wintertime, certain problems can attract more problems. And they can grow on you, resulting in greater difficulty than the initial problem. Like an active automobile's brakes that need servicing. If left, uh, if left unattended for too long, a larger expense will be incurred. For now, you not only need brake pads, but because you waited too long, you now need new rotors or drums. Because you have dug deep grooves into them because of procrastination or whatever, what other problems. An older car, if it's impounded for whatever reason, if it's left at the pound for too long, it won't be worth getting out because of all the charges that will have accrued. Like a small leak that can seriously damage your home and personal property, the Bible says it's the little foxes that can spoil the vine. Like this deer found out in reference to squirrels. It is possible to have too much nature per square inch. <laughs> wow, did she see that? Small problems should be dealt with because trouble has a way of doubling. A simple mistake in your checkbook can double itself like that. Let's just imagine a scenario. Let's say you have $200 in your checking account and you write a check for $100. So that should be a debit, right? So now your $200 checking account now has $100, right? 100 from 200 equals 100. But let's say by mistake, for whatever reason, you write it in the wrong column and don't do your math. And later on in the day or the next week, you add 100 instead of taking it away. Now your $200, your $200 balance appears to be $300. That simple mistake is a double problem. You, now you have $200 less than what you think you have. And if you write checks on that, it could grow on you with, with ISF charges and penalties and, and embarrassing things can happen. Troubles have a way of multiplying. Who knows that's true? If left untreated, a wound can get infected and create more pain. This is a logic that the medical establishment uses to drum up more business. Get a checkup while you're well, and if we catch a little problem, we'll, we'll catch it and treat it before it's a big one. So I think I've made my point. Troubles can get big on you. Like sins that are not repented of, things can double up on us in a hurry. Your pet sin can become a monster, can become an addiction even. So here we have the promise. Instead of your shame, we shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, we will rejoice in our portion. And in our land, we will possess double. And everlasting joy will be ours. God is a double blesser. When He was leading the children of Israel from slavery to the promised land in the wilderness, He fed them with what? Manna. But on Fridays... The, the uh, sixth day, God blessed them with what kind of manna? Double manna. So they wouldn't have to work on Saturday. So they could observe the seventh day. The Sabbath day could be celebrated. 
God, so God is able to double what He does in our life. Under Old Testament law, it was God's will that a convicted thief be forced to restore double what he's stolen. So, if your goods were stolen and the thief was caught and it was proven in court that he was guilty, he not only had to restore you your goods, he had to double it. So there you are better off than you were before. Um, when Zacchaeus, remember the thief in the New Testament, when Jesus changed his life, he doubled the double. He restored four times what he had cheated out of people. And he blessed some poor folks too. Elisha, the disciple of Elijah, asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Bible scholars tell us that when Elisha died, he had performed twice the miracles that then Elijah had before Elijah was taken out of here. Some say, no, he was one miracle short. Well, God fulfills his promise to double, does he not? In um, Second Kings, Second Kings, <laughs> in Second Kings, 13.20, it tells a story. Elisha has died, and he is buried. And there's a young man that was killed in battle, and they didn't have time to bury him because the enemy was coming, so they opened up Elisha's tomb and laid him in on top of Elisha, and the young man was resurrected. So God fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled Elisha's request. He's a double blesser. And he even goes beyond that. When the young man gave five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude in the hands of Jesus, it was possible. How much did that young man get back? Ten loaves and four fish? No, he got back twelve baskets full. So the New Testament is exceedingly abundantly and above and beyond all that we could ask or think. God is awesome. But he is a double blesser. Keep in mind. Look at his mercy and his grace. Mercy is viewed as that reality in our lives when we do not receive what we do deserve. All right, we deserve death and hell, but we don't receive that because of God's mercy. Grace is perceived as us receiving what we don't deserve. All right, mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Not only are we not dying and going to hell, but we are going to heaven. Mercy and grace. Double blessing. Forgiveness and righteousness is a double blessing. It is awesome to be forgiven of our sins, but it is even more awesome to be imputed with the righteousness of God. So think of this in mathematical terms. Let's say you were in debt a huge amount that you couldn't pay. And then you were forgiven that debt. Your books that were in the red are no longer in the red. Is that not a great blessing? Hallelujah. That's forgiveness. But then righteousness, that's the perfect record and the perfect character of God, is imputed to our account. Now no longer are we just broke and no longer broke. Now we are rich. It'd be great to have your bills paid. It'd be even better to have a credit balance. Jesus is our Lamb and our High Priest. As our Lamb, He died for our sins. He sacrificed Himself on the cross in submission to the Father's will. He allowed it to occur. He could have called angels to have rescued Him, but He didn't. He laid down His life for us. He's our Lamb. Then He arose from the dead as our High Priest to minister to us the reality of what He provided as the Lamb. We celebrate His body and His blood. Not only was His body beaten for our sins and broken for our, for our brokenness, and the disunity that was in our life became experienced in His body so that ours could be made whole. Now we can have a healed relationship with God and one another through the broken body of Jesus. 
But he did not stop there. He shed his blood to wash away our sins. This is a double blessing. And in the courts of God, when you are forgiven, you are forgiven. Now, in the courts of man, you may have to serve some prison time for what you've done. But in the eyes of God, you have been forgiven. And for God to charge you again with your crime, what is that called? Double jeopardy. He doesn't do that kind of double. We have the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the old will of God put forth by the testator, God Himself, who came wrapped in flesh, who died. A will is not carried forth until the testator or the willmaker dies, right? Your uncle may have willed to you his estate, but you don't get it till he's dead. Well, God gave us His will in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is a carrying out of the dispensing of the Old Testament. Because the testator died between the two testaments. Jesus. So we have this double blessing. We have God's Word in our covenant. His Word is unbreakable. He's not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should ever have to repent of anything. His gifts and callings are without repentance. His word is sure, it is steadfast. When he says, let there be, it is. But he didn't stop there. He made a covenant with us. Look at this verse. Hebrews 6. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, that is, it cannot be silenced or broken, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. So, we have hope in His Word and we have hope in His deed. His Word and His deed. His Word and His will carried forth in the making of His covenant. When we see Jesus on the cross, this is not just a lamb being slain in our place as our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. This is God making a covenant with man. A blood covenant. This is an unbreakable relationship. In primitive cultures, they, they understand this more easily, easily than we do. When we make a business agreement, it used to be you could shake hands and that was the agreement. Now you've got to sign a mountain of papers and hire three lawyers to make sure everything's fulfilled. But this shaking of hands goes back to the cutting of the hands and the mingling of the blood with the person that you are making the covenant with. And in so doing, you're promising, your blood is my blood, my blood is your blood, my life is your life, your life is my life. May I be dead if I break this agreement. God did that in Jesus Christ. There used to be a cross over here. So. Um, he was God and he was man. So as the son of God and the son of man, he was a perfect party to, to not only make the blood covenant in himself, but to suffer the penalty for breaking it. Because he knows that we are sinners and we would let down our end of the covenant from time to time. But in his mercy and his grace, he has made a covenant for us that's not based on your performance. It's based on his character and his performance. It's a double blessing. Um, used to be a song about God's blessings. It would have been enough if he brought life. It would have been enough if he brought joy. It would have been enough if he brought peace. But he put laughter into my soul. He desires for you and I to have assurance that our salvation is secure in him through what he has done. He gives us double for our trouble. How do we receive the benefit of this? Number one, get to know Jesus as your Messiah. Remember, we opened with these verses. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. This is why Jesus came. This is why the babe was born in the stable. To preach good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To bring liberty or proclaim liberty to the captives. 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Are you glad about it? Get to know him as your Messiah. He's done this to turn your life around, to make it line up with his will. And his will is better than our will. Our will may seem to be better in that it's self-serving rather than Christ-serving. But in the long run, you're going to hit a wall somewhere and crash. His will is that we not crash. And he goes on to promise, instead of your shame, you'll have double honor. He'll give us double for our trouble. So getting to know Jesus as your Messiah. You may believe he's the Messiah of the world. Yes, he's the King of the Jews. Yes, but he is your personal Jesus. I know there's a song that mocks him saying, get your own personal Jesus. But he is your personal Jesus. He is your Messiah. Are you poor? Are you brokenhearted? Are you captive? Are you bound? Are you in mourning? Are you feeling heavy? Has your beauty turned to ashes? He's your Messiah. Begin to truly follow Him as your leader. He came not just to save us, but He came to lead us. He's our Lord. He loves me as I am, but He loves me too much to leave me that way. So as I follow Him, He gave about 70 commands to get us started to deal with the issues of our heart. They all do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Begin reading the book of John and praying, Lord, all right, what is, what is Your will for my life today? What should I do in facing this challenge? Begin to seek Him for answers to life's questions. And He'll begin to lead and guide you and help you come out of trouble. Zechariah 9.12 is talking about Jesus. The context here, he's talking about him riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. A king. And he tells Israel, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. You ever been in such a problem that all you have is hope? All I have is hope, as though that was nothing. Hope is the anchor of your soul. When you are hopeless, that, that's, a, that's a tough place to be in. That's where people become suicidal when they lose all hope. May God make us people of hope, imparting hope to others, spreading hope rather than condemnation to one another. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Jesus is our stronghold. Lord Jesus, um, Paul called himself the ambassador of Christ in chains. He also called himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Even though he was imprisoned by the Romans, he was imprisoned in Jesus by being a prisoner of hope. His hope is in you and you alone. No one else could help him. You ever been in a jam? There's no one that can help you but Almighty God. Life can do that. Sometimes we can do that to ourselves. But there's a promise that he will restore double to us. In those hard times, Paul blessed us by writing half the New Testament. And uh, eventually he lost his head, but I guarantee you he's restored more than double now. The complete Jewish Bible said, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners with hope. This day I declare to you that I will grant you double reparation. The message says, Coming home, hope-filled, Come home, hope-filled prisoners. This day I'm declaring a double bonus. Everything you lost returned twice over. The New Living says, come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Now sometimes believers may stray off the road of following the Messiah. You may be here today, it's Christmas, so you thought, well, I better go to church because I do believe, but I've not been practicing. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just telling you it's time to return to the stronghold. You can't get away from him. He's all over the culture. And he's blessed the culture doubly. After Christmas comes Easter. 
Jesus trashed a pagan holiday with the resurrection. And the world celebrates it. So he's everywhere. So return to him. Yeah, but I've lost a lot of ground. I, I've made a mess. I, I, I. Hey, he came for us, right? He came for us. His blood was shed for his children as well as those who are not following him. Come back and he will restore. Oh, but I'm not worthy. Oh, so we need to punish ourselves for our sins. That definitely is dangerous ground. He was punished enough. Let's receive the benefit of that. So get to know Jesus as your Messiah. Begin to truly follow Him. Number three, forgive those who've caused you trouble. If you want to be restored from your trouble, you want to experience God as a double blesser. Sometimes your trouble is caused by somebody else, some injustice. Landlord evicted you or car dealer repossessed your car and you had the money. And you're just seething inside because of the troubles you now have as a result of what was done to you. God will restore double, but He desires first that we lead the vengeance to Him and that we forgive those who caused us trouble. Job experienced a double replacement of everything that he lost. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, Job's friends didn't cause his losses. But I tell you, when he was down, they stomped on him. Some of the meanest, uh, highly intelligent meanest things you could ever read is in the book of Job, words that are being said by his friends. You ever been down and your friends just wipe their feet on you? Forgive them. When Job began praying for them, the Lord began restoring him. Even his children that he got were better looking than their first set. They were winning beauty pageants and stuff. God is so awesome, He can take our setbacks and convert them into setups. He can take our downturns and turn them into turnarounds. He can transform our messes into messages, our testings into testimonies, and what we have done wrong into something that He can use for the right. With Him, demotion becomes promotion. What looks to us like digressing may actually be progressing. Humiliation may actually be preparation for exaltation. Your step back may be actually a foundational step for you to go forward further than you would if it wasn't for that setback. God is a great conserver. He doesn't waste a thing. He'll give you miles for your trials and stars for your scars. Doug Oldham sang a Bill Gaither song on PTL channel years ago called Something Beautiful something good. All of my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. If there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And the hopes for life's best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes. My castles all crumbled. My fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped it all in the rags of my life and laid it at the cross. And he made something beautiful, something good. He can give us beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness, and double for our trouble. fourth key to receiving double is to give your losses to God. If something that rightfully belongs to you, if something rightfully belong, belongs to you, was wrongfully taken from you, it actually still belongs to you, doesn't it? 
But if it's impossible for you to get back, what are you supposed to do? Give it to God. (laughs) He knows how to collect. Give it to God. Give your losses to Him and kiss it goodbye. God is so incredible, you can sow seed in one field and reap it in another. Give it. Give it to Him. That old stuff will kill you. Primitive cultures, if you killed a man, your punishment was that dead man's body was tied to yours. Until the corruption and the maggots, the worms crawling in and crawling out would begin to crawl in and out of you and eventually the death of this old carcass became your death. Cut yourself loose from the things that were done wrong to you. Give your losses to God. Give him, give him, uh, do something physical with a journal or a sheet of paper. Lord, I hereby bequeath to you all debts that were indebted to me that I cannot recollect. I give them to you. Hallelujah. Have yourself an offering service. Give it to the Lord. Now, look at this verse. This is often read during... Verse 38 is often read during offerings. But look at the context. It's talking about more than offerings. Jesus said, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, when we forgive, we're actually giving mercy to someone that doesn't deserve it. Is that right? We're giving something before someone's worthy. That's why it's called forgive. We're foregoing justice and our right for revenge and forgiving mercy that they're not worthy of. He goes on to say, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So when we give, we're to give with our whole heart. And that wholeheartedness that we give with, the Lord returns to us wholeheartedness. Um, another verse in the New Testament says, If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. So the way we measure our giving is the way He measures our blessing. So use a big scoop. Alright. In dealing with our losses, in giving them to God, we need to do it with our whole heart. Lord, I give this to you so that we can be candidates for double blessing. If you don't see it, get with me after service. I think I can help you see what I'm trying to say here. Moving on. All right, this is a video. It's about what happens to our life when we don't let go of stuff. This is what bitterness does. just creates darkness.
Remember we began this morning by talking about how troubles can multiply on us. Bitterness can develop a root that bears fruit where our world is very small and we're locked away from the light of day and God's blessing. Two men look out through the same bars. One man sees the mud and one man sees the stars. It's all going to burn up one day, saints. Don't surrender or trade in your eternal joy for some temporary loss or setback. Troubles can make us bitter or better. Opposition can serve to make us stronger. Sorrow can increase our capacity for joy. Can. Sad as you are today, you can be twice as happy. Giving God time in your faith. Forgiveness ensures our recovery from trouble. It ensures that we recover. People who give their current and past troubles to God are my heroes. Many people in this room, you guys are my heroes. I've seen you walk through some stuff. I've seen you let it go. I've seen you give it to God. Heroes. We salute our heroes. One of my heroes who isn't with us today is my own daughter. She'll be with us next Sunday. So if you don't mind indulging me, put her picture up there. I've seen this kid. She's not a kid anymore. But I've seen her overcome things that were tough for me to handle. Uh, we were new moving to Granbury in the early 90s, and um, she's trying to fit in at high school, and she joined a club, and, and during her sophomore year, she was voted in as president of that club. But one of the sponsors for the club, a mama who wanted her daughter to be president, uh, found a loophole in the bylaws of the thing and had Summer Joy impeached from being president. And, and then in the effort to get her daughter in position, they realized it was unjust and, and that there really wasn't something to stand on. So Summer was allowed to run for president again against her daughter. And her daughter promised the moon way more than my daughter promised. Campaign promises became greater than my daughter's. And so um, Summer Joy didn't make it in the second election. So it was an injustice. She was voted in. She got impeached. And then it was proved to be an unjust impeachment. So rather than reinstating her, they allowed her to run again. It was just a setup. I was mad as hell. So I went down to the high school. I'm going to talk to the principal. You know, you're not going to treat my kid this way. And the principal couldn't see me for two weeks. It was small town politics. The mama was a local celebrity and we just had to lump it. But Summer learned to let it go. And, and then there was a position available a couple years later where she could be a representative for this. This is what she really wanted. A representative for this club in the region. Um, be a regional representative. So she ran for that position and got it. And then at the last minute, they, de- they decided to include boys in this club. And it ended the position. Devastated again. But every time she gave it back to God. And it developed in her a determination and a drive that is uncommon. She left there, became an LBN, continued to go to school, got an associate's degree, continued to go to school, got a bachelor's degree, and became an RN. And and then years later, she gets engaged to be married. And after the engagement, a few months later, the young man really wasn't for marriage. Uh, the engagement was broken. Devastated again. But she bounced back. <laughs> she's lived overseas. She's been to, she's done mission trips to 25 nations now. Uh, she's gone back to school, work on her master's degree. And after the first year, she decided to make an adjustment. And for just one additional year, if she made the adjustment, she could get a doctorate degree. She's not going to be a medical doctor per se, but she's going to be a midwife with a doctor degree. I don't know 
that she would be doing what she was doing today if it wasn't for the bumps on life's road that she got in high school. So mamas and papas, we need to be there for our kids. And we need to pray for them and lift them up. But we got to help them to bounce back rather than train them to hold on to bitterness. You can hold on to bitterness and be a victim the rest of your life. Or you can let it go and give it to God and be victorious. Hallelujah. And she good, she's still good friends with the ex-fiancé. In this day and time, a fiancé is someone you're shacking up with. But in her case, it was someone she was engaged to be married to. So, move on. It's amazing how words are evolving. Fifth key for doubling our trouble is never stop believing that God is with us and you are not alone. He sees what you're going through. <laughs> in our prayer time, we're not telling Him anything He doesn't already know. But we're coming into alignment with our will by laying down our will, lining it up with His will in prayer. It's more about us changing than Him. He sees you. He wants to help you. Don't stop believing. Ephesians 3 gives us this promise. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Who's experienced the blessing of God where He has done more than double what you've lost? He has? Alright, I, I want... <laughs> Y'all are boundary pushers. You know that? I want four people to just come up here. No more than four. Alright? Um, share pictures, not history. Pictures. What was the loss and what was the restoration? Well, about a, uh, four months ago, I lost my job. And some people found out about it and said, hey, we want you to do what you were doing before. So they put me in a position where I have my own business again. And uh, blessings were just flowing in on the fax machine just over and over and over again. So God just restored everything, and I did have to, I did have to give it up because it was unjust what happened to me. All right, one more, one more. Come on up and join these two. There we go. All right. <clears throat> well, most of you probably already know, but um, I I lost my whole family pretty much, and um, so it's pretty short. And I've gained a uh, greater family than uh, than anybody could have ever imagined. And it's um, the coolest thing is it's by blood too. It's uh, blood on the outside, but it's uh, so I, I really you guys are my family, and this is uh, more than doubled what I lost. So I praise God for it. Praise the Lord. Another job. Well, it's, uh, you know, find sometimes amazing how you share stories with people and you're more alike than you realize. Um, I share kind of the same story as Josh does, um, in a different aspect. Um, I also lost my relationships both with my mother and my father over the course of my time period and, um, always wanted a large family and, uh, Exchange, uh, my wife's family, I, I have no idea, double digits in, in actual natural family. And they actually adopted me before me and my wife ended up getting married. So God is good. Yeah. Well, my story is a little different than that, but I was down to no money. I was single, living alone. And you know how you get, you, you get in debt up to your eyeballs and you do things you shouldn't do. And I had gotten back in church and was down to my last $5 that I had in the world. And there was a love offering taken up for a woman with all these kids and she had had surgery and no money. So I gave that last $5 knowing that payday was over a week away. And God blessed me by um, a man I was buying a car from. I still owed him over $500. And he told me the next week, he knew nothing about what I did, but he said God told him I don't owe him anything on that car. That's great. Hallelujah. Yes, that makes me number five now. But uh, I lost a job, and God restored me with a new one, and it was wonderful. And it's turned out to be everything I wanted. So He's faithful. Thank you. Man, your, story, your story's not over. Amen. Yeah. 
This is what a Christmas is about. God came be with us to give us hope and faith in Him that He restores our losses. These stories you've heard, brief instances, snapshots of people's stories, are just a handful of many. We could be here all day listening to stuff. And one day they can be your story. Because God is with us. But if you condense the many meanings of Christmas down to just one simple truth, you'll always end up with four words. Over and over and over again. Four words. God is with us. The holy God of Israel, wrapped warmly in humanity, is crying real tears in a real city with real parents who are trying their best to take it all in. God is with us. He's on our planet, on our countryside, in our manger. Emmanuel, the very name the angel speaks, is now given to Jesus, because God is with us. Fast forward 2,000 years. The four words that changed history can now change us. Those four words are the only words that can bring meaning to the deepest places of our hearts. For the woman whose husband walked out on her and who continually struggles to pick up the pieces. For the elderly couple who can no longer care independently for themselves and who must now rely on the care of others. For the man who watches as all of his friends get married off and who painfully wonders if there's any woman out there who will ever take an interest in him. person who is seeking truth and looking hard at Jesus is a possibility. You are not alone. You never have been and you never will be. Because God in Christ wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped out of eternity and into time, and chose a cave in Bethlehem to communicate one simple abiding truth. God is with us. And those four have the power and the beauty to change every waking moment. My final point is my life's message. Never miss opportunities to teach this to your children. Isaiah 61 goes on to say that their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles or offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. You and I have a posterity, but the quality of that posterity will be determined proportionate to the level that we are laying down our life for our children. We have fine schools in this community, public and private, Great churches in this community with excellent children's ministers. Let me give a hand of appreciation for those who are in children's ministry here. But none of it, none of it is a substitute for parents who will show Jesus to their kids. Don't lose Christ in Christmas this year. Teach your children about what it's about. Don't put Santa Claus on the same level as Jesus. Put him in there with the three little pigs and Goldilocks and Little Red Riding Hood and the three bears. If you want your kids to have double blessing in their life, make them a priority. At the end of your life, they're going to be a priority. The song that continues to be a popular song because of the truth that it holds is a song casting the cradle. Who's heard that song? On our deathbed, we won't say, Where's the boss at? We'll say, Where's my children? We won't say, darn, I should have spent one more day on the job. Or I should have 
preached one more sermon or sang one more song or wrote one more book or did one more great feat or climbed one more mountain or surfed one more wave, we'll say, where's my children? I want to tell them that. How we end is a revelation of what's really important. The most important thing in our life, other than our relationship with Jesus Christ, is our children. Minister life to them. Love them. Bless them. Lay down your life for them. We pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you give us double for our trouble. And Lord, I thank you, especially for those people in this room whose kids are in trouble right now. And Lord, we, we declare by faith that not only are they going to come out of trouble, but they're going to come out of trouble on fire for you. Not only are they going to serve you, they're going to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask for the parents in this congregation, in this, in this town, to take their jobs seriously when it comes to raising their children. Give fathers and mothers wisdom on what their child as an individual needs in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the educators and children's ministers in this room. I pray, Lord, you would encourage them today in this Christmas season as they get a break. Lord, help them to see that they're not to replace the parents, but they're to enhance the ministry of the parents. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling today. I ask, Lord, for hope to resurrect in every heart in this room to know that they are going to receive double for their trouble if they'll just give you some time. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand? Pray that you have a double Merry Christmas. May that be your response this week. To anyone that wishes you a Merry Christmas, say, have a double Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, His immeasurable shalom peace. And may a double portion and beyond that be yours to receive. In Jesus' name, I declare by faith to every room, every person in this room who is struggling, next Christmas is going to be different. But this Christmas you're going to begin by putting your faith in the One who will lead us through to that double reparation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be friendly. Spread the love of God to others in the room. Meet someone you don't know. God bless you.